Hey y'all, uh, this is Bones, uh, and this episode is gonna be about literally nothing, and also everything. Great. So, uh, what I think I'm gonna do here is click on random Wikipedia article, and then, uh, just have a seizure in my mind. Essentially, that's what I already started doing. Um, I clicked random article on Wikipedia. Uh, it's a great hobby. Uh, fantastic to do during school when you don't want to do anything else. And you're supposed to be writing your timed uh, English essay. But it's really just not worth it. And I got to a page called The War of the Messiah. Which sounds so metal. Uh... It is also known as the Pierce Messiah text, and uh, one one Q one four, my favorite, uh, different things. What is this? Uh, it is apparently a Dead Sea Scroll, or no, it's a series of Dead Sea Scroll fragments. Uh, that make up the story of the War of the Messiah. Uh which sounds amazing. What is a Dead Sea Scroll? I don't know. Uh, it's ancient Jewish and Hebrew religious manuscripts that were found in the Qumran Caves in the Judean Desert. So did a ton of just people put some nice little scrolls in some caves and leave them for a million years? I don't know. But, uh... The most recent one was found in this place called the Cave of Horror, um, which is just lovely. Uh, and uh, if you scroll down on the Wikipedia page for the Cave of Horror, you reach uh, this uh, section called the Chalcolithic Child Burial, which... It's my favorite hobby, uh, bearing children. The partially mummified 6,000-year-old remains of a child, probably a girl named, a girl aged between 6 and 12, were found in March 2021 under two flat stones in a shallow, shallow pit grave with the help of a CT scan. The burial dates to the, oh, Chalcolithic period. Child had been buried in fetal position and uh, was covered with a cloth, resembling a small blanket wrapped around its head and chest, but not its feet. The burial was found along uh, with 2,000-year-old uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. The fragments were Greek translations of the book, books of Nahum and Zechariah from the Book of the Twelve Minor Prophets. The only text uh, written in Hebrew was the name of God. That's kind of metal. What is the Chalcolithic period? Who knows? Oh, Copper Age. We had writing during the Copper Age? That's cool. And then, okay, so if you go to the Wikipedia page for Chalcolithic... <laughs> Chalcolithic... Yeah, Chalcolithic. Or no, Calcolithic. Okay, that's way less cool. 
It's calcolithic. I'm so sorry. It sounds less like shagadelic. The um part that mentions the pre-Columbian Americas, isn't that basically the entire history of the pre-Columbian Americas? Is that it? They used mostly copper and stone, right? Because I know that they had like copper, native copper and. Michigan and Wisconsin, but they ain't got no, co- like, other things, right? Here, let's find out. Yeah, that's basically it. They actually switched from, so they found the first metal, which was copper for them, and they used it mostly for, in Michigan and Wisconsin for where it appears on, like, a pure form for, like, tools and, uh, like, jewelry. And then they really, because, like, and they didn't know what a metal was, so they just treated it as another cool rock. But they really um, used it like it was just another rock and uh, forged with it. And then they switched from using the copper as, like, for tools and went back to using it for just jewelry and all that and then using stone for tools and they just kind of went backwards in time and it was kind of a funny coincidence that they never really progressed as uh as far uh metallically as they uh would have because what seems like an advantage right so in europe you had the um you had the people who needed to melt the copper uh, down and then uh, forge it into uh, a workable metal, right? Through like things like uh, cold processing and things like that. But either way, you still had to originally melt the copper ore out of the stone, right? Uh, but in the Americas, in Wisconsin and Michigan, you didn't need to do that because it appeared in an already pure kind of form, right? So uh, they never actually needed to melt down the copper. And that came as a disadvantage to them because they never learned about melting down the metal into specific shapes. And mostly, they never learned about adding other mixtures to make like things like bronze. And so what seems like an, uh, a benefit of having pure copper instead of like this uh, messed up stuff actually came as like a huge like jet- detrimental thing. And it was kind of silly and wacky. All right, I... Uh, so I died and now i'm back and uh i already had it pulled up from like four days ago i don't know why this came up uh anoxygenic photosynthesis was googled in my search bar uh and then i clicked on the wikipedia page and now we're gonna learn about anoxygenic photosynthesis um so i assume you know how photosynthesis works uh let me pull up the formula but basically What happens is you get uh, carbon dioxide and water, and through like the chlorophyll in the plant or whatever, uh, it turns into glucose and oxygen, right? So the CO2 and the H2O uh, turn into this complex molecule, molecule um, that is glucose, which is uh, C6H12O6. Right, 
and then you have oxygen left over that isn't in that glucose uh, and gets released into the air, and that's how, like, the whole uh, photosynthesis thing happens, right? But apparently, there's another form of photosynthesis called uh, anoxygenic photosynthesis, which, uh, if I remember, uses sulfur. So the equation is um, CO2 plus hydrogen sulfide instead of water, H2O, it's H2S, H2 sulfide. And then that turns into... um, So that turns into sugar, right? That turns into the glucose. So they both create glucose, which is what the plant needs to survive. But um, instead of having uh, oxygen as the byproduct, that hydrogen to sulfide uh, actually instead just creates pure sulfur as its um, as its byproduct, and uh, also water to balance out the equation, but. It creates sulfur instead of oxygen. And what's kind of goofy and wacky is that you don't see this equation in, like, big plants. And I don't know why. But, like, if you see a tree, it's not going to use anaerobic uh, photosynthesis. Uh, But if you see sulfur bacteria, like, um, bacteria, they use sometimes this anaerobic, not anaerobic, anoxygenic uh, photosynthesis because you don't always have oxygen, right? Like, um, think of the bottom of a pond, right? Like a pond in a, in, a, in a forest. That stuff's nasty, right? Well, you have, you have that, and uh, you don't have a lot of oxygen down there. And so you're going to use what you have and the minerals that you have, and you're going to... Uh, but you still have, like, some light that reaches down there because it's not the shallowest ever. Um, I mean, it's not the deepest ever. So you combined the sulfur that you have and the UV rays that you have and uh, kind of bioengineer yourself anox- anoxygenic photosynthesis. And, of course, I'm making this whole process sound way more, like, deliberate than it probably was. I don't know how this worked, how this came into existence. But, like, that's kind of cool. Also, they're purple, right? So, like, chlorophyll is what does the photosynthesis that's normal, right? But uh, instead of using chlorophyll, the, um, the, the anoxygenic photosynthesis uh, bacteria use a different uh, thing that is, um, instead of having it absorb wavelengths in, like, the green spectrum, which makes the chlorophyll green and your plants green, it it absorbs wavelengths in the, like, red spectrum. And so, like, they appear, like, purple and red, and it's, like, super cool. All right, uh, well, that's about it. Uh, I love you, and have a good day.